Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical <clears throat> Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. It is Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. Today we continue our catechesis through the Ten Commandments. We've been doing this for what? Uh, this is now week six. Um, today we'll continue to consider the close of the commandments, that is, the nature of the commands for us, what uh, the Lord wants to work through that word. All right? Good. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Memory verse. Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. James 2 verse 10. So you might say that the uh, well, the only commandment that matters is the first commandment: "You shall have no other gods." And all the other commandments actually flow from that, showing us how that we have either made ourselves or other people or other um, things into our gods that we would fear, love, and trust in. Right. So if you break um, the tenth commandment, you're effect effectively breaking the first commandment as well. Right. And um, Jesus, when he is asked to summarize the commandment or when he asks others to summarize, I should say, does say, summarizes the first and second table, right? You shall have no other gods. Um, You should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. How does he say it? We should fear the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On this, all the commandments hang, right, he says. So, yes, love of neighbor and love of God go together. If you violate one, you violate them all. This is Jesus' assertion, and James, the apostle, picks up on that. All right. Our psalm is Psalm 14. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion, when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning is now and will be forever. Amen. All right, again, review and close of commandments. We say it. What does God say? I don't know why that got left out. Say about all these commandments. He says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. What does this mean? God threatens to punish all who break these commandments, therefore we should fear his wrath and not do anything against them. 
But he promises grace and every blessing to all who keep these commandments. Therefore, we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands. First reading today is from Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. Then Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Behold, or excuse me, beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, and in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So when it comes to God's commands, what's the writer to the Hebrews' assertion here? What's the distinction between those who enter into the rest, those who have the peace of Christ, and those who do not? It's actually faith, right? Moses was faithful in his house, so Christ Jesus is even more faithful, right? Is faithful in his, I should say. Moses was faithful in delivering the law, which kills. Christ is faithful in delivering the gospel, which makes alive, right? They could not enter into the promised land because of their unbelief, all right? And that unbelief is is manifest in their rebellion against God's word, namely his his law. Um, But uh, as we'll see in the next reading, it's not just a rejection of the word um, that terrifies, that kills. It's also rejection of the God who saves, and maybe even more so. All right. So to that point, uh, a reading from Exodus 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For, for as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. 
Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And Moses and the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them that I and that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. All right. So it begins, Exodus 32, um, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, uh, how long was Moses on the mountain? Best guess. It's probably the right guess. 40 is a good number, right, for Exodus stuff. How about 40 days and 40 nights? You can see that back way back in Exodus 24, that he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. In the meantime, what did the people ask of Aaron? Verse 1, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what became of him. Right? So they want these gods to go before them as leaders. All right. Now, what is a god? I know it's easy to say, well, they want idols, but um, this is any, anyone or anything that we might trust in for good in our lives. All right. Um, I think it, it's suggested here, and you can disagree with me on this. Um, well, they're trying to replace God, the God who actually delivered them, who wants to be known by his deliverance of these people from Egypt. Right. But they're looking for, for additional gods, right? So coming out of Egypt, this is not surprising, being Egypt being polytheistic, right, with many gods. So they want additional gods to go before them uh, and to fight for them as they go through the Sinai wilderness. Of course, they don't need that, but that's what they want. Um, and notice what, the, what did the people say about Moses? They did not know what had become of him, right? Now, the mountain is presumably still smoking. There's still fire and thunder and whatnot, so maybe they think Moses is destroyed, I guess. It's hard to really know, right? Um, notice that Moses is not the one directly who delivered them out of Egypt, but even in that statement, they've already denied that it was God who delivered them. The God, uh, Moses, uh, you know, even asked his name before he even began his ministry to save the people, which was, um, you know, who shall I say sent me? And they say, I am sent me. So they're even, in a sense, already denying that by ascribing the uh, salvation out of Egypt to Moses. How did Aaron respond to their request? He asked for all their golden earrings. Makes me think of a old uh, band, right? Golden earring? Yeah, anyway. Uh, what did the people do? They did it, right? They took off the earrings that were in their ears, the gold from their hands, right? He brought to them all that gold jewelry uh, to which... Aaron was to make a golden calf, 
Um, we might contrast actually this in just a few short verses or chapters, just three chapters from now. Um, hear what they do in Exodus 35. All right. Moses spoke to all the congregation of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying. So this is after this incident. Moses will instruct them what God had told him on the mountain those 40 days. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of willing heart, let him bring in as an offering to the Lord gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, etc., etc. Right? Um, All the stuff. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. All right? And many of those things that he commanded, just looking here, um, are going to have gold attached to them. All right, well, I'll just go here. And all the congregation of the children of Israel, again, this is Exodus 35, departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service and for its holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, right, that is, in faith, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, and then also all the other things that were needed. And then the artisans came, and they fashioned them, um, both the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and the jewels, and the wood, and all the all the other um, woven things, right? So we'll see that com- contrasted. All right. Um, so what does Aaron here do with the gold, though? As a false priest, I suppose, he molds it and fashions it with an engraving tool into a golden calf, a molded calf. And then the people, what do the people say about this calf? This is your God, singular. They ask for gods, but this is the God, singular, that had brought them out of Israel. Um, You might know there is actually, well, there's a few, at least three that I found Egyptian gods that are um, in the form of, of a bull, right? So you have Hathor, uh, but Hopi or Apis is probably the one that they are referring to here uh, because he was from the Memphis region, which is um, to the north, which is near where the people of Israel were. Um, Hopi or Apis uh, is the son of Hathor in their pantheon and uh, was known for death and resurrection, which is interesting as well. Um, the bull, the the Apis bull, it was an important sacred animal to ancient Egyptians, as in, as with the other sacred beasts, Api's importance increased over the centuries. And uh, so depending on the, the time, it has more or less significance. I don't have a, a lot more to say about him and what his role is, right? And it changes depending on what time there is. Um, but you have many of the uh, pharaohs being buried uh, near a, a, a bull being buried in its own tomb near it. So there does seem to be uh, a common worship of, of the bull. So this is an Egyptian god or the sign of an Egyptian god. Chris asked two questions. If that god did and commanded, they did not believe it, it would seem, gee, well, that didn't come out, all, all of it come through. Why did God not kill them all? Well, we're going to get to that here in a minute. All right. So um, Aaron, having fashioned the golden bull, then makes an altar before it and Notice what he says. I think this is interesting. I don't know who pointed this out to me. may have been for my catechesis as a young person, but tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. It seems as if 
he just wants this bull to be another representative, like a, a sacrament of the true God. All right, well, not so good. Has God commanded them to fashion such a thing? No, right? And right away, you might think of the explanation to the first commandment, um, you shall not uh, make any carved image, any likeness in the, of the God, you know, of the animals or creatures, right? And worship it as God. So this is a blatant disregard of right away of the first commandment, or second, if you're of the more reformed persuasion. All right. Um, and what did the people do on the feast day? So he appointed a feast day, and then they they feasted. Right. They sat down to eat and to drink, and rose up to play. All right. They they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Right which we'll see these things brought into the liturgical life of the people um, with the laws when Moses brings that down from the mountain, right? So they've already appointed their own burnt offerings and peace offerings outside of the command of the Lord. And then I like, I was looking for different images, but I, I preferred this image because you can see it's kind of a bacchanalia. I mean, they're not wearing many, much clothes, but who knows? I don't know why they do that, but um, we have them basically feasting and dancing and music. You know, it's it's uh, it's not the kind of uh, worship life that you might expect or you and I might practice, which has a degree of reverence and um, you know the people being set apart from the pagan rituals of of the, the world around them. Um, notice what uh, the Lord says to Moses: Go get down for your people, not my people, but your people, Moses. And what do you think the importance of the Lord saying your people is? All right, so the Lord is angry with the people, right? He's already disowned them in a sense, right? Uh, by calling them your people, Moses' people. He's angry with them that Moses brought out of Egypt, and, and which he had previously called his own. So they have, they have corrupted themselves. They set themselves apart from God, um, turned aside from all the things that he had commanded, um, and notice he knows exactly what they have said about this golden calf. He sees all, right? So how did God describe the people then in verse 9? They calls them a stiff-necked people, which is, I think, another way of calling them stubborn. Um, stubbornly sinful, we would say, idolatrous. And so then what does he uh, ask in verse 10? That Moses leave him alone, right? So that his anger could burn hot against the people, that he consume them, and then make of Moses a great nation. All right? Now that's all, um, you know, he's being truthful, but he's also um, leading Moses to respond in faith. Look at how Moses responds, which is really curious, right? Because I don't think God actually really wanted to destroy his people, and he, but he wants Moses to recognize that, right? So notice how Moses responds to the Lord's words. He begs the Lord to relent, right? Why does it burn hot? You brought them out of Egypt with great power and mighty hand. Uh, one basis, you know, for this begging, of course, is that he believes, or the, I'd say the chief basis, is that he believes that God is a God of mercy. Moses believes that because he's seen how God has delivered his people mercifully out of bondage and slavery and is, and is bringing them towards the promised land, right? How does God want to be known? The God who is angry and punishes sin? Or the God who delivers his people out of slavery and bondage, whether Egypt or now for us as Christians, out of sin, death, and devil. All right? God, God loves to hear us plead or intercede on behalf of ourselves and others in need, especially um, from unbelief and rebellion. So how does Moses challenge God? In specific, he says, 
what will the Egyptians say, right? What will they say of you if you delivered them and then you killed them with that, you know, they will say you're a god of evil intention, wiping them off the face of the earth. Fair enough, that's a pretty good thing, a pretty good argument, I would say. And then 13, even more appeal appealing, is to the promise made, right? Remember, God, remember your promise. Remember me, O Lord, as we pray in the Psalms, right? Do not forget us. Does God forget us? Of course not. But we don't always believe that, right? And maybe Moses would not have either, but now he knows, right? Uh, it's time to show compassion, is what he's saying. Remember the promise you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think the reason why Moses sees through God's bluff here, if you like, right, in faith, is because Moses knows that the promise cannot come by him, right? Now, there's a little bit of uh, inside baseball, I suppose, but saying to Moses, I will make of you a great nation, would be a violation of his promise. What, you say? Yes, the promise was not made to the, to the tribe that Moses belongs to, which is the tribe of Levi. The promise was made to the tribe of Judah, all right? So, he can't, he can't be faithful to his promise and make of Moses a great nation that would be faithful, that would deliver the, the promised Messiah, right? So, relent, right? It's right. Speaking back to God the words that he has spoken to him. The Lord loves to hear this. He loves to hear us confess to him the words that he's already spoken to us. It shows that, one, that we're listening. <laughs> That's the first point. And two, that we believe it even more so, or at least we want to believe it in faith. So how does the Lord respond to the request of Moses? Verse 14, right? The Lord relented of the harm that he said he would do to his people. All right, so I think Chris is getting it now. Why did not God, why did God not kill them all? Because of this very word, verse 13, remember your promise, right? He had made a promise to them, right? And the Lord is always faithful to his promises, even in despite of their sinful rebellion, right? Uh, you know, as the children, uh, one of the children rightly recognized this morning, you know, he would have just been doing another flood or some cataclysmic event like that. He also, another child remembered Sodom and Gomorrah, right? But though Sodom and Gomorrah did not have God's promise. That was not made to Abraham or to Lot, but it was made to Abraham, right? Lot could be saved through faith in the promise, of course, Lot and his household. We see that in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, but Sodom and Gomorrah themselves, having rejected God's word and promise uh, made you know, to a very specific people, um, then were destroyed, right? Now, Moses and his household, his generation, would be saved by faith in the promise. That faith or that promise is given very specifically to the tribe of Judah. That doesn't mean Judah is superior. It just means Judah has the promise, and all the other tribes are saved by faith in the promise that will be that will come through that lineage. Right? Yes, that lineage is set apart. It's particular. Say the house and tribe of Judah, or house and lineage of David as well. Later on, um, that doesn't mean that they're you know better people. It's just those are the people that God had chosen to work through, and then all are saved through. The, uh, the offspring of David, the son of David, who sits on his throne, who's Christ, right? All right. Um, as we heard from James chapter 2, verse 10, right? Whoever fails in one point is guilty of all of it. All the commandments are really summarized in the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before my face. The underlying accusation made by every commandment is that we do not fear, love, and trust in God above all things for the good in our life. The judgment of the law is always is that, I should say, we are rightly condemned and deserve what God declares, namely, 
Let his anger burn hot against us and that we be destroyed. That is the right verdict. And yet Moses did not trust in the law alone, right? He appealed to the grace of God and asked him to remember his word of promise, which we would call the gospel. So instead of trusting in the word of the law, do this and you will live, he trusted in the gospel, the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the offspring that would crush the serpent's head and deliver us. He asked that God forgive and spare his people according to his mercy. This is the tr- is true faith. True faith always relies upon the God of the promise or the gospel for salvation rather than the harsh judgment of God's law or one's own keeping of that law. So let us never appeal to what we deserve, death, but to the salvation that God so freely gives us in his mercy and grace, that is, life. All right, let's sing our hymn for the week. Um, Let's sing stanzas one through three today. tomorrow. All right, let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, apart from you, we have no life or salvation. Therefore, you are a jealous God desiring us to fear, love, and trust in you above all things. You punish children for the sin they share in and have committed from their fathers. 
that they might be brought to repentance and faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. You show love and mercy to those who love you and keep your commandments. Therefore, grant us true repentance and forgive us every sin against your holy law, that we might cheerfully love you and gladly do what you command. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray, O Lord, we pray that your grace may always go before and follow after us, that we may continually be given to all good works. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for deliverance against temptation and evil, for the addicted and despairing, for the tortured and oppressed, and for those struggling with sin. We pray in thanksgiving with Anne, who celebrates her birthday. We pray for the households of our church, Graydon, Bobby, Robbie and Lisa, Dick and Jean, Greg and Sharon, Amanda. We pray for our catechumens. We pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Joe, Kelsey, Dan, Brad, Ron, Marla and Betty, Pat and Heidi. We pray for our homebound Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, Paul and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially that of Orphan Grain Train. We pray in intercession for victory over temptations and for safekeeping from the devil's plots. Pray for those suffering the effects of Hurricane Ian. We pray uh, for those grieving, especially Wendell, at the death of his mother Connie. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. I hope to see you again tomorrow as we'll pray um, again. Actually, we'll pick up where we left off with Exodus and we'll hear what happens when Moses comes down the mountain. You probably know what happens there. And we'll talk about um, the judgment of God against sin, um, but also then in the midst of that, his grace and mercy again. All right. So Lord's blessings on your day. And uh, again, I hope to see you tomorrow. God be with you all. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.